continuing the series on repentance from dead works, which is the first of the foundational principles taught to us in the scriptures in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And uh, that scripture reads, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, and of the doctrine of baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And so the first out of the six foundational doctrines is called repentance from dead works. And we're looking at uh, that particular doctrine over this series of teachings. We've had a look at um, what repentance is as far as the Bible is concerned. Um, we looked at the fact that repentance is certainly a part of the gospel of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. It was uh, an integral part of the gospel that he preached when he was on the earth. We saw that the apostles preached repentance um, as part of the gospel when they preached. We had a look at what Bible repentance is, and we saw that Bible repentance is turning away from the way that you're uh, going and going in the complete opposite direction. And we saw that it's not really a case of feeling sorry for oneself or for one's sins, but it's a case of turning away from uh, that which uh, we've been doing, which is really living a life of sin, and turning to righteousness. Um, we saw that salvation and repentance are exactly the same thing. It's, they're synonymous terms. And we had a look at scripture about, uh, and we looked at a number of scriptures about the fact that uh, the Bible refers to uh, repentance unto life in, in the same breath when he, it talks about salvation. And so one cannot be saved unless one repents. And we saw that uh, salvation is, you. there are two uh, criteria that have to be filled in order to be saved. We have to believe in our hearts that God has raised Christ Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. And we have to confess Christ as Lord. In that act of confessing Christ Jesus as Lord, we saw that that is, in fact, repentance. That is a case of turning away from where I've come from and turning towards uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, the mandate that our Lord gave to Paul, we saw in the book of Acts, when he called him into the ministry, he said that he was to, uh, Paul was called to turn um, people from light to darkness and turn them from the power of Satan to God. And so that is really what salvation is. It's, it's a case of turning away from um, the power of Satan, turning to God, turning away from darkness and turning to light. And uh, that is, in fact, repentance. And so we said that if there's any gospel that gets preached that says that you have to repent um, before you can be saved, that that is not uh, the truth of the gospel. For salvation and repentance are one and the same thing. Any gospel that preaches that you have to do something other than believe in Jesus Christ um, as being Lord and confess him as being Lord um, is a false gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we had a look at, the, we, we started out by looking at what dead works are because the, bio, the scripture, the doctrine is repentance from dead works. And so we've seen that repentance is turning toward God. And in fact, um, in the book of Acts, Paul calls uh, this doctrine not repentance from dead works, but repentance toward God, um, repentance to God. And so it's pretty much one and the same thing. For when we repent from dead works, we're repenting toward God because we're turning away from that which we were doing, and we're now uh, turning towards the Lord, and we're going to now be doing that which uh, the Lord has called us to. 
And so we wanted to look at what dead works are. We had to look at the fact that dead works, in fact, is sin. Um, and we're not going to go through those scriptures again. Um, and so we want to have a look at this, this topic of sin today. And the fact is that we, when we come into the kingdom of God, that we are cleansed from all sin. And uh, so it's important for us as believers to understand what sin is um, and just how sin um, impacts upon the life of uh, unbelievers and impacts on the life of believers as well. So what is sin? Well, firstly, we want to know, we want to understand that sin is an extremely destructive force. It is, in fact, the most destructive force known to mankind. Um, sin destroys lives. It has destroyed countless. It has destroyed countless numbers of lives up until now, and even now, it, it impacts on people's lives. Um, and there's just absolutely no good consequence uh, related to sin at all. Um, and so, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ has come to set us free from sin. Now, what the gospel never teaches the Christian is that they will never sin. That is, that is also a false gospel. There's no such thing taught in the Bible that says that the Christian will never sin against once, once they are saved. But what the Bible does teach us is the fact that Jesus Christ has died for our sins and has in fact set us free from sin. And we are able to walk in that freedom. That is the reality of the gospel. We have the ability as, as born-again believers to walk in the freedom from sin that Jesus Christ has set us free from. So let's have a look at what sin really is so that we can identify what it is that we've been set free from so that we can learn to walk uh, in the freedom given to us through Christ our Lord. The first scripture we want to have a look at is in 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. The scripture says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested, talking about our Lord Jesus, to, wait, to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. <clears throat> and so that word lawlessness uh, can be translated disobedience to God's laws, to disobey God's laws, because that really is what lawlessness is all about. Um, God is the one who puts laws in place and he decides what is right and what is wrong. And uh, the one who walks in lawlessness is the one who is going to be a transgressor of the laws of God and those laws that he has put in place. Um, and so it's an act of disobedience. It's, it's disobeying the laws of God. That is what lawlessness, lawlessness is. And John equates sin to lawlessness, for he says... Uh, sin is lawlessness. And so to, be, to, to commit sin is to commit lawlessness. It's one and the same thing. Um, being sinful is being one uh, who is being lawless. Now, the law that it's referring to is the law of God. And we can pick it up in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, the Apostle Paul writing, and he pretty much equates lawlessness to disobedience. Um, in Verse 16, it says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? 
And so Paul contrasts these two, these, uh, two against each other completely, sin on the one hand and disobedience on the other hand, or obedience, sorry, on the other hand. For he says, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. And so he contrasts sin and obedience. And so it's very clear in Scripture that sin is in fact disobedience. It's being disobedient, disobedient to the laws of God. And that is really, in a nutshell, what sin is. Um, God says, this is what you should do. I choose not to do that. I am now committing sin, for I'm now being disobedient to what God has instructed me to do. Um, and that's really what sin is all about. It's, being, it's a case of God says one thing, and I'm going to say, sorry, I'll, I'll do my own thing. And uh, thus I have committed lawlessness. I have been disobedient to to what God has instructed me to do, I am now walking in sin. And that really, in a nutshell, is what sin is all about. And you, you know, we can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, to when God created Adam and Eve, um, because that's when the first sin was committed by man. We forget about uh, Satan and his uh, sin that he committed, but let's just look at the first sin committed by man. Um, when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them one commandment, only one commandment. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, he said, Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Now, he'd given them absolutely no other commandment at all. They had complete free reign throughout the earth. Uh, God had given him dominion over Adam and Eve, dominion over the earth, over the beasts of the field, over the birds of the air, over the, everything. Uh, God had placed in their um, under their control, and they had complete um, free reign to do whatever it is they chose to do. Uh, God stepped back and allowed Adam to name all of the creatures on the earth that God had created, for God is the creator of all things. But he had given over to his creation, Adam, the uh, authority and the ability to name God's creation. And so that is what Adam uh, was doing at the time. But, as I say, there was only one commandment given to Adam and Eve. And God said to Adam, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Every other tree is yours. You can eat whatever you like. You can do whatever you like. I've not told you. There's nothing else I've withheld from you. Just this one. This is the only commandment that you are to keep. And that's the one commandment he transgressed. And that is just such a clear indication to us of what sin is because Adam sinned when he transgressed the only commandment given to him by God, when he disobeyed the commandment of the Lord. And that is, you know, you, you can't, we can't make it any simpler than that. That's really what sin is. God says, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. I choose to do what I can't do. What God says I can't do, I'm going to go ahead and do it. That is when I commit sin. And that is uh, what really what sin is all about. Now, you recall that when our Lord did speak to Adam um, and he gave him that command, he said, in the day that you eat of it, this fruit of the knowledge of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day you will surely die. Now, we all understand that because that's exactly what transpired. Adam and Eve partook of the fruit and they died in that day. Now, we all understand that when um, our Lord was speaking to them and he said, in that day you, sh you will surely die, that he was speaking about spiritual death, that Adam and Eve would then die spiritually because they did not die physically. In fact, they died uh, almost 900 years later physically. But 
they both died spiritually on that day when they partook of the knowledge, the tree, fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it wasn't the fruit itself that was destructive to them that caused them to die. It was their transgression of the command of God. In that, God said, "You will not, you you are not to partake of that fruit." Um, it, it, that fruit it was not uh, poisonous, so to speak, and because they partook of that fruit, well, now they died spiritually. No, not at all. The fact is that they had transgressed the commandment of God. When they did that, they committed sin. And when they committed sin, they died instantly. Spiritually, their spirits were separated from God. They were no longer in fellowship with God. And that is when they died. Um, not as a result of eating the fruit of the knowledge of tree of, of good the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What a weird tree, but it was there nevertheless. But they both died spiritually on that day. Um, now, when, they, when that happened, um, they were, God removed them from the Garden of Eden because they hadn't yet partaken of the, uh, the tree of, of life, the fruit of the tree of life. For the fruit of the tree of life, that tree of life was also in the Garden of Eden. Um, there's not too much, you know, the, the tree was there, but, uh, you know, as to why Adam and Eve had not yet partaken of that fruit, I do not know. But God did not want them to then partake of that fruit. Because if you go back and you, you read the account in Genesis, God actually removed them from the Garden of Eden, lest they uh, partake of the fruit of the tree of life and live forever. And so God had to prevent that from happening. And so he, he expelled Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And so... At that time, when Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, um, there was still only one commandment in the earth. God had still only given Adam and Eve one commandment, and that is that you're not to eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil, of knowledge of good and evil. I'll get it right eventually. Um, no other commandment was given to them at that time, that they could transgress. Now, Adam and Eve were taken out of the Garden of Eden, and so they, couldn't, they didn't have access to that tree anymore or to the tree of, 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 of life. The angel was there to guard um, the access to that, so they couldn't get there. So they could no longer transgress no man, their children, Cain and Abel, um, and Seth, and whoever was born to them uh, after that, could no longer transgress against God's commandment as Adam and Eve had done because they didn't have access to that tree anymore. And that was the only commandment in the earth given to mankind whereby they could transgress against uh, the laws of God. And yet what happens is we find that from the time of Adam all the way through to the time of Moses, people die. Now, now the way that death, physical death works is that First, sin comes, and when sin comes, then comes spiritual death. Uh, look at Adam and Eve. They were alive before God. Their spirits were alive. They hadn't sinned. They were fine. They committed sin. When they committed sin, their spirits died instantly. That was, that's the, the, the instantaneous result of committing sin, is that the spirit is then um, dies and it is separated from the life of God. 
Um, but what transpires after that is physical death is then made manifest through the individual. So it's first sin enters into the individual, then the spiritual death is, a, is, a, is as a result of committing sin, and then finally physical death uh, then is manifested in that individual's per life in that the body then dies. And it took Adam and Eve, as we say, roughly 900 years for their bodies to die. However, from the time of Adam and Eve, after they leave the Garden of Eden, everybody dies physically, uh, up until the time of Moses. And it continues. I mean, we're going to look at a scripture now to, to, to highlight this issue. But the fact is that everybody died physically. From the time of Adam up until now, everybody dies physically. So what was taking place because since the time of moses from the time of moses the law was given into the earth god's commandments the ten commandments plus all the other commandments given to the jewish nation were given into the earth and um, it is that much easier for people to then transgress the laws of god because now the laws of god have been made manifest and you know we know that much more about what god says we can and cannot do and so it's easier to tr transgress but until the time of Moses, until the law was given into the earth, there was no law. There was no uh, law given by God where God said, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. Um, and so how is it possible for, because we've seen that sin is a transgression of the laws of God. Sin is being disobedient to do what God has told you to do, saying, well, God told me to do this, but I'm going to do the opposite. So I'm going to transgress his law. So from the time of Adam until the time of Moses, the only law given into the earth is that one commandment given to Adam and Eve, you will not eat of the fruit of the tree of, the good, of knowledge of good and evil. No man could commit that law, uh, that that. Uh, uh, sin anymore. No one could transgress that law anymore because no one had access to that tree anymore. And yet people are dying physically. So something has happened outside of that law which is causing mankind to sin from the time of Adam all the way to, to the time of Moses. They're sinning, they're dying spiritually like Adam and Eve did, and they're dying physically. So the physical death is as a result of their spiritual death. Their spiritual death is as a result of committing sin. So what is the sin that they were committing from the time of Adam all the way through to the time of Moses? We need to understand that because that then helps us to understand how people commit sin in the earth today. Because don't forget, there's the, you know, although the law of Moses is in the earth and that God has put out the Ten Commandments into the earth, there are still multitudes in the earth today who have no knowledge of the, of the law of Moses. People grow up in um, uh, Eastern cultures. Uh, people grow up out there in, in, in the Amazon forests. They're not exposed to the law of Moses. So they don't transgress Moses' law because they don't have any idea what Moses' law says. No one's ever t uh, mentioned the, the, you know, you, thou shalt not cover to them. It's, it's foreign to them. But they still die. They die physically. And they die spiritually as well. Why? Because they're committing sin. So we need to understand what sin man commits. Um, all the t from the time of Adam, don't forget now, we're talking, let's just look at that, that grouping of people. From the time of Adam till the time of Moses, people died physically. In order for that to have happened, they must have died spiritually. In order for that to have happened, they must have committed sin. So what is the sin they committed? 
Let's have a look at a scripture in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, which gives us some insight into this. Um, Paul writing to the church, he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, that one man was Adam, and sin entered the world through Adam because he transgressed that one commandment given to him by God. Don't forget, he only received the one commandment, nothing else. And then death through sin. So that's how it works. We transgress God's commandment. By doing that, we sin. And then death comes into our lives through sin. That's the only way death can get into a person, uh, into their spirit and into their, their physical body. It has to come in through sin. Sin is the doorway for death to enter. Uh, carrying on, says, And thus death spread to all men. Now, why does it spread to all men? Because he says here, because all sinned. And so it was possible for all men from the time of Adam all the way through, the, through to the time of Moses. And then, all right, we're just dealing with that uh, grouping of people, as we said. But you can extrapolate that out to the whole world, really. And so everybody sinned, but there was only one command. And that one command was, don't eat of that tree. And no one could break that command because nobody had access to that tree. So if sin is transgressing the commandment of God and all sinned, where's, you know, where's the commandment that they could sin? Let's have a look. Verse 13. For until the law, talking about the law of Moses, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. And don't forget there hadn't been any law. No law had been given. So how could sin have been imputed to mankind up until that time, verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Talking about physical death now. People were dying. So we need to be able to explain it. Why were people dying when there was no law that they could, con could transgress? Because there was only the one commandment. Don't forget that. One commandment. You cannot eat of that tree. Nobody could eat of that tree anymore because nobody got to the tree. So where's the law? Um... Verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. And so Paul emphasizes these guys were dying and they hadn't sinned like Adam did because they couldn't sin like Adam sinned because they didn't have access to that tree. So they couldn't transgress that law. And yet people were dying physically. And so if people were dying physically, it must be that they had already died spiritually. And if they already died spiritually, it must be because they had sinned. So what was the sin they were committing? Because there was no law that they could transgress. They, they couldn't do the same transgression that Adam did because they didn't have access to the tree. So what is the law that they were transgressing? <clears throat> Well, we have a look at it. It comes up in Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. Um, scripture says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. This is obviously describing the act of, of disobedience to God's command, and they are now partaking of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now look at what happened in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them 
were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And so here is the key to what sin mankind was then committing from the time of Adam all the way through to the time of Moses. Then the eyes of both of them were open. Now it's not talking about their physical eyes. They, you know, they weren't walking around blind and bashing into trees um, as they were trying to find a way around the Garden of Eden. No, their physical eyes were open. Um, it's not talking about their spiritual eyes either because when they partook of the fruit, their spiritual eyes, in fact, were blinded because they died spiritually and they were now separated from the life of God. So their physical eyes weren't open. Their spiritual eyes certainly weren't opened at the time that they partook of the fruit. Um, the eyes of the understanding was not opened either. Talking about, uh, because the Bible talks about the eyes of our understanding, um, in the New Testament, talking about our, our minds when we, uh, our, you know, how we how we understand things. So it wasn't the, that they had now the eyes of the understanding had been opened because, in fact, the eyes of understanding had been blinded um, because they had now submitted to the God of this world. Remember, um, Satan then became the God of this world because Satan is the one that tempted them in the first place, and they fell for the temptation. And so he became the God of this world, and when, what he does, and we won't have time to go through that part of it today, but if you go look at the New Testament, he is the God, of, he blinds the minds of, a, of the unbelievers. And so what Satan does is, once you come into his kingdom, is he blinds your mind and you, you have no understanding of the things of God. You are now, those things are completely uh, foreign to you, all unbelievers. The Bible talks about the fact that the veil is taken away in Christ. Because before we come into Christ, the Word of God is, is uh, a foreign book to us. It's not something that we understand because the, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So it's not the, 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 the eyes of the understanding that is opened. What is opened up is the eyes of their conscience. Their conscience is opened for the very first time, is, uh, is brought um, to light, so to speak, for the very first time. They'd never had a conscience, uh, the, the, the eyes of their conscience had not ever been opened prior to them disobeying the Word of God and disobeying the commandment of God. There was no conviction that they had on the inside of them that they were about to do wrong. Um, it was only after they had partaken of the fruit that their eyes were opened. Their conscience now convicted them because this scripture says uh, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And so for the first time, they realized that they had now committed sin. Their conscience now convicted them of the sin that they had committed. And it is the conscience of man that is given to him by God to um, help him to know what is right and what is wrong, what he can and cannot do. And everybody who comes into the, 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 into the earth is, com comes into the earth with a conscience. Uh, the conscience being opened, the eyes of their conscience being opened, and so they can now um, know the difference between good and evil. And don't forget, when, when Adam and Eve were taken out of the garden, God had said, now they know, they understand the difference between good and evil. They become like us. They had a conscience. They know what is right and what is wrong. And so that is where man, from the time of Adam all the way through to the time of Moses, was able to sin against God because their conscience 
would tell them, this is actually not right. What you're about to do, whatever it might have been, covetousness, hate, hatred, murder, whatever, um, the conscience would then tell them, no, you shouldn't be doing that. If you look at the book of Romans, it talks about the fact that our conscience, plus our born-again spirit, convict us or excuse us, depending on what we're doing. Before someone's born again, it is only their conscience that convicts them or excuses them of what they're doing, being correct or not being correct. You recall when our Lord Jesus um, was in the temple and uh, the guys set him up kind of and they brought that woman who'd committed adultery in front of everybody and uh, you know, they said, you know, we caught her in adultery here. Uh, what do you say? Because the Lord Moses says that you know, we should be stoning her. And uh, the Lord responds and he says, okay, he who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And our Lord then goes back and carries on writing on the ground. And the scripture talks about the fact that they, their conscience convicted them. And they couldn't stone the woman because they were all convicted, wait a minute, we're actually just as sinful as she is, if not even more so, actually. And so they, they eventually left. Um, <clears throat> but the point is, is that all, everybody on the earth has a conscience um, and given to them by God. And Paul, he would live his whole life, and you go look at his writings, quite often he mentions the conscience, and he would strive to live a life of, of a good conscience before God and before men. And everybody in the earth, when they come into the earth, when they're born, they're born with a conscience. Their conscience is on the inside of them, and their conscience is given to them by God to, to guide them, this is right, this is wrong. And all unbelievers... Every unbeliever, wherever, if they're living in the, the, in the jungles of Amazon, they're living um, in Eastern cultures, wherever they are, they have a conscience given to them by God. And they know on the inside of them what is right and what is wrong. And that is how it is possible that mankind, from the time of Adam all the way through the time of Moses, was able to sin against God because they were able to violate their conscience. For the conscience, the eyes of the understanding, not the understanding, the eyes of the conscience had been opened from the time that Adam and Eve had committed sin. And that is the result of partaking of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. That knowledge of good and evil was, in fact, the conscience God had given to mankind from that time. Adam and Eve didn't need a conscience before that time because there was no, uh, you know, they weren't about to commit any sins. Uh, they weren't, you know, they, they knew no sin. There was only the one command God gave them. Um, <clears throat> and so there was no covetousness that they, you know, their conscience was now convicting them of or, or uh, being envious of one another or being hateful towards one another. None of that existed uh, before the, the, they sinned against God on that one transgression, that one commandment. When that happened, now their conscience was awakened. The eyes of their conscience was opened. Now they knew and they understand they understood a whole lot of, of good and evil stuff out there. And so when mankind, from the time of Adam, all of his sons and daughters as they were born, when they violated their conscience, that's when they sinned against God. And that is at the time that their spirits would then die and ultimately physical death would then materialize. I don't want to get into too much detail, but... When you come, when we come into the uh, into the earth, we're born again. I'm born again. We're born of God, and all children come into the kingdom of God. I can into the earth, born of God, and when they reach a certain, uh, when they reach the age of thirteen, their conscience, the moment they commit sin, 
Their spirits are still alive until that time. The moment they commit sin against their conscience, their spirits die instantly. And that is why we all need to be born again, because at one time we were born uh, of God. Paul said, I was alive once without the law. When the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And when he was alive without the law was when he was a young child, when before he reached the age of accountability. And so his spirit uh, died at that instant. And so that is why it is that the scripture teaches us that from the time of Adam through to the time of Moses, even though there wasn't a law in the earth where men could transgress that law, uh, people were still dying physically. And the reason for that is, is that people were still transgressing their conscience uh, given to them by God, which was in effect transgressing the laws of God. And that conscience is available to all unbelievers in the earth, even today. And so that's why someone who's never heard about the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments still uh, sins against God and still dies spiritually when they reach the age of accountability and still then eventually dies physically because uh, they're transgressing the, the laws that God has placed within their conscience. And that is how it is possible that uh, people transgress against uh, the laws of God even though they have never, they've never been exposed to the laws of Moses. And so we were all sinners before we came into the kingdom of God. We all lived a, a life of sin, a life of disobedience to the laws of God, even though, as I say, a vast majority who come into the kingdom have no access to the laws of Moses. They know nothing about the laws of Moses, um, but they have transgressed those laws because the conscience of man upholds those laws. The conscience of man does not allow him to go out and commit murder. Um, and the law of Moses says, thou shalt not murder. But men do transgress their conscience. The Bible talks about the fact that people have, uh, their consciences are seared with a hot iron. So the more you transgress your conscience, the easier it becomes to commit sin. And so that's why you get people who, um, let's talk about just unbelievers for five seconds. You get very good unbelievers. When I say very good unbelievers, I'm talking about people who live good lives, um, who know nothing about the law of Moses, who know nothing really about Christianity almost. But they live, that's how it is possible that people who've never even heard about the law of Moses and uh, have no idea about uh, you know, Christian, Christian influences and things like that um, are able to transgress the laws of God because those laws are written on their conscience and when they do transgress those laws, uh, they're um, sinning against God. And it is, as we say, it's possible for one who is um, not... Uh, influenced by Christianity at all, still to live a very good life because people obey their conscience. You know, their conscience uh, kind of points them in the right direction. And so they live very good lives um, where you get people who, who then disobey their conscience. And the, uh, the more you disobey your conscience, the easier it becomes from the point of view of then you're able to commit more and more sin. And that explains why uh, some people who are unbelievers can become very wicked because they um, pay no attention to their conscience whatsoever. Whereas others uh, who are still disobedient to the laws of God still live actually quite good lives because they obey their conscience. However, everybody, uh, before we come into the kingdom of God, are, uh, we live a life of sin, uh, and that sin is uh, transgressing the commandments and the laws of God. 
The scripture we can look at is in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. The scripture says, And you he made alive. He's talking about unbelievers who have come into the kingdom of God, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so everyone, uh, before we come into the kingdom of God, are spiritually dead. Our spirits are dead. Um, and the reason that they're dead is because of the sin that we have committed. Verse 2, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works where? In the sons of disobedience. So there's that word disobedience again. And so sin and disobedience are synonymous terms. Um, because you, we mean disobedient to the laws of God. We mean disobedient to that which God has instructed us to do. Verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And so everybody is a transgressor of God's commands and laws. We can have a look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. The scripture says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So even those who try to obey their conscience and try to live very good lives um, still miss the mark entirely. For the scripture says, For we have all sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. If that were not the case, then those who live very good lives would not need a savior. But even the one who, who tries to live as, as, as good a life as possible still finds out that they sin against God and still um, does not meet the requirements. And so everybody needs a, a savior. And so all of us fall into that category of being a sinner before we come into the kingdom of God. We were all sinners before we came into the kingdom of God. But once we come into the kingdom of God, we're no longer sinners. And this is where um, the church gets a little bit mixed up because they look at the fact that everybody is a sinner before they come into the kingdom. And we all acknowledge that. The Bible tells us we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that is true. But once we come into the kingdom of God, things change. The Lord Jesus never refers to his church as sinners. He always refers to us as saints. And so once we come into the kingdom of God, something changes. Um, there's a, a lot more, you know, we, we're not dealing with everything. But one of the aspects that does change is that the nature of our, our spirits changes. For well, we were sinners before we came into the kingdom. Once we've come into the kingdom, we're now saints. We're no longer sinners anymore because our nature has changed. Um, before we came into the kingdom of God, we were sinners. That was the, uh, we had the sin nature. We were, uh, let's go back to Ephesians and read that scripture again. Uh, we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And so they, everybody who's in the world is called a son of disobedience. Now, who, who, which son are they? Oh, they're, they're, they're sons of, of the devil. Remember our Lord when he was on the earth? He spoke to the Pharisees and those um, who were uh, pretty lawful in the observance of the law. And he said, you guys are of your father, the devil. And so everybody who is outside of the kingdom of God falls under the influence of the power of the air, Satan, who is... Um, in fact, their father, because they take, they take on his sin nature. They take on uh, his uh, desire to, to be disobedient to the laws of God. And all of us partook of that before we came into the kingdom. 
But when we came into the kingdom, we were born again. And when you're born again, the spirit of you, of the man, changes. And he's now born of God. And so the spirit of man, the nature of that spirit, is no longer a, one who desires to be disobedient to the laws of God, but in fact one who desires to be obedient to the laws of God. And so we are no longer sinners. Now people say, yeah, but people still sin after they come into the kingdom of God. Well, that might be, and that, in fact that is the case. People do sin after they come into the kingdom of God, but that doesn't make them sinners. Their nature is still that of a saint. Their nature of this, the spirit of man which is born again, his desire is to be obedient to God, not to be disobedient to God. And we're going to deal with the fact that there is the fleshly nature which we have to deal with after we come into the kingdom. But the point that I wanted to really emphasize here is that the, the Lord never calls his, his church sinners. Uh, he calls them saints. Once you come into the kingdom of God, your nature changes and God refers to you as a saint. He no longer refers to you as a sinner. We were all sinners before we came into the kingdom. Let's have a look at a, a scripture that will help us to understand this a, a little bit more clearly. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. The scripture says, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, now this is Paul um, explaining his life before he came into the kingdom of God. And so he's saying, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, he's saying, This is what I used to be like, guys. Um, and now this is what I am like now. So let's get, read it again. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundantly with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Then verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save what? Sinners. And so Paul is saying, that's what I used to be. I was a sinner. He says, of whom I was chief. Now, this is where there's a bit of controversy that comes in because this particular passage of Scripture in every Bible is translated, of whom I am chief. That was... Uh, is translated in the Bible that, that are printed, it says, I am chief. But in fact, that word translated am can also be translated was. It, it's exactly the same word in, in other parts of Scripture. It's translated as was. Or in other parts of Scripture, it's translated as am. But it's the same word, and it can be used either as am or as was. But it, it's depending on the context of the, the passage, that is what the translator then says, okay, this is past tense or this is present tense. And so it, it either is translated am or translated was. Now what happened here in this particular passage of scripture is that the translators um, have missed it completely because they do not translate it uh, in the same way as Paul looks at it. Because Paul is showing us what he used to be like. And he's showing us what he is like now. He's saying, this is what I was. He's not saying, this is what I am. Because, let's look at it again. He says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So he's saying, this is what I used to be like. He's not saying, this is what I'm like now. 
And so if we were to take that scripture and say, and this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So Paul is saying, if we take that passage of scripture to say, of whom I am chief, then he's saying, nothing's changed. I've come into the kingdom of God, that which I formerly used to do. I used to be a blasphemer. I used to be a persecutor. I used to be an insolent man. Um, but now I'm the chief of sinners. So right now, I'm the chief blasphemer, the chief persecutor, and the chief insolent man there is. And that's, you know, that's what the Lord can do for you. He can make, turn you from one who was a blasphemer, and, uh, a persecuted and insolent man, and make you the chief blasphemer, persecuted and insolent man. No, that's not what Paul is saying at all. He's saying, guys, this is what I used to be like, and this is what the Lord can do. I used to be a sinner, um, but I'm no longer that way. And that's why he says, if you, if you read it correctly and you translate it correctly, it says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I was chief. I used to be like that, and Jesus has saved me. He's not saying I'm still like that, nothing's changed, not at all. And so you know, when the guys put that, particular, just that little word, am, instead of was, they say, you know, the Lord's foremost apostle couldn't cut it. He couldn't overcome sin, guys. So if he couldn't overcome sin, well, then no one can. Sin is too powerful for the for Christians. Um, you know, Jesus, you know, he came to save us from sin, but, you know, he actually, he, 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 did, he didn't get it right because we are still sinners. After you're saved, you're still a sinner. Before you're saved, you're a sinner. No change. No, the Lord always calls his church saints after they're saved. Before we're saved, we're sinners, without a doubt. Um, but we're never classified as sinners after we're saved. And so that little word should in fact be translated in context quite correctly as was, of whom I was chief, not of whom I am chief. And so it's purely because the translators in their minds couldn't get their minds around the fact that it's actually quite possible for Christians to no longer commit sin. Um, they, in their minds, their thinking is sin is far more powerful than God. And so it is impossible for a Christian to no longer commit sin. Uh, that's, that's something that God can't do. Remember, our Lord said, you know, with God, all things are possible, and all things are possible to him who believes. And so God is the God of the, the impossible, and that's why we get born again, um, is so that we can now start living a life free of sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you, the Bible teaches us, um, for we have died to sin. And so it, it purely because of the translators, their mindset back then when they, when they wrote, the, when they translated the Bible, um, could not grasp the truth and the reality of the fact that once you come into the kingdom of God, you now are able to walk free from sin. In their minds, that's an impossibility. God's not able to do that. God can save you and God can get you into heaven, but while you're on the earth, as you, uh, you're a Christian, God can't get you to stop sinning. That's impossible. You know, don't ask God to try and do that because that's outside of his realm. Um, that's where sin is greater than God. And so that's their thinking. And so that's why they said that the Lord's chief apostle was not able to overcome in this area. And so if he couldn't, don't worry, the rest of the church is fine. Nobody can overcome in this area. Sin is bigger than God. And so that is the mindset of that little word. Huh? That little word should be translated was, it can, and it has been translated was in many other places in Scripture, in just in that one passage of Scripture. 
um, it has created such a lot of problems for the church because uh, people say, you see, Paul couldn't get it right. No one can. Uh, God's not able to um, overcome in, in sin. sin. Sin is greater than God uh, in this life, which is not true. And so Paul is saying, guys, the Lord set me up as the example. This is what I used to be like. I was the chief of sinners. But now look at me. I'm the example. And Paul, time and again, says, guys, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So he's not saying, you know, I'm the chief of sinners. Imitate me. Become a chief sinner, you know, just like I am. No, he's not saying that at all. He says, guys, I'm the example. The Lord's putting me forward as the, as the ultimate example of somebody who really was an absolute sinner deluxe. I was the chief of sinners. But now look at me. I'm following after the Lord Jesus. I'm walking in the, in the righteousness of God. And I'm, I'm putting myself forward as a, to the church. I'm saying, guys, imitate me. As what? As I imitate Christ. Christ doesn't sin. In him is no sin. And so Paul doesn't sin or didn't sin either. Um, Paul said, I know nothing against myself. Um, but he said, I'm not justified by that. And I don't want to go down that road today. But Paul never uh, admitted to committing sin. In fact, he didn't. He, he put himself forward as a, an example to the church of how to walk in righteousness. Never put himself forward to the church as an example of how to walk in sin. And so that one little word is, is translated completely wrong. It should always read, uh, of whom I was chief, when it talks about him being a sinner, not him who, of whom I am chief. Somebody said, yeah, but it's more uh, humble to say that he's a chief sinner. No, that's not. That's, that's an insult to God. That's saying, God, you're, you're unable to do anything uh, because sin is far greater than you. Uh, you can't get your chief apostle to stop sinning, so how can you get anybody to stop sinning? And that's not the case. God's far greater than any um, sin that anybody might want to uh, walk in or commit. And so let's have a look at our fact that our Lord Jesus Christ has paid for our sin. He died for our sins. And, you know, and for us to go back and walk in it is an insult to God, and so we shouldn't do it. But anyway, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. And so sin has to be dealt with. God can, cannot allow sin to just, all right, we'll just forget about it. Yeah, this time not to worry about we will, we'll, we'll, we'll ignore the fact that you've committed sin. No, every transgression, let's read it again. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, talking about under the old covenant, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. So every transgression has to be accounted for. For God does not allow any transgression to go unaccounted for. And he talks about disobedience there again, because a transgression is in fact being disobedient. And so every sin had to be paid for. Every sin had to be accounted for. There is no sin that God just ignores. Um, so how did he do that? How did God do away with uh, and, and account for every single sin committed by mankind? Well, he did it through his son. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. And so our Lord Jesus is the one who paid the price for our sins. Um, because the, our sins had to be dealt with. God, in his, uh, who is a righteous God, uh, cannot allow sin to go unpunished. 
For if he were to allow sin to go unpunished, that would create absolute um, pandemonium in, in the kingdom of God. Because now this particular individual can transgress God's laws and not be held accountable. But other individuals can't? No, not at all. God holds every individual accountable for transgression of his laws. And so every transgression had to be paid for. And Jesus Christ died for all of our sins. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the scripture says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so Jesus Christ is the one who was made to be sin. With whose sin? With our sin. He never committed sin. Jesus Christ never committed any sin. Um, but he was made to be sin with our sins. Now, how did God do that? I don't know, but God knows. And so God took upon um, himself in, in the form of his son, Jesus, the sin of the world. Every single transgression, Jesus Christ, the sins of the world were placed upon him and he was made to be sin. Now, what happened was when Jesus was made to be sin, he did that so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. So there was a, there was a, a swapping over that took place by and large in that Jesus took our place and we can now take his place because we are now made the righteousness of God in Christ, not outside of Christ. There's nothing we can do that will make us any, that can make us righteous. We can't do it. Um, he did it. He did it for us. He took, he became sin with our sin so that we could become righteous with his righteousness. And that's the, that's the swapping out that took place. Now, when he took our sin, he had to pay the price for our sin. Because, remember, every transgression and disobedience has to be uh, accounted for. Nothing can go without penalty. There's no, there's no sin, there's no transgression that can take place that doesn't require um, the just reward. For the just reward of that transgression has to be met. Uh, met. And so our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who paid the price. Um, Psalm 88 verse 6 and 7 says, You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. And so our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who went down into hell and paid the price for our sins. He went into the lowest depth, into the lowest pit, and the wrath of God came upon him. For the wrath of God had to be incurred for the sin because every single individual who commits sin is deserving of the wrath of God. Um, and so Jesus, who became sin for us, was deserving of the wrath of God, not because he'd sinned, but because he had now taken upon himself our sin. And so when he became our sin, when he took upon himself our sin, he had to take upon himself the punishment for that sin. And the punishment that he endured was when he was laid in the lowest uh, pit of the earth and in, in the lowest pit of hell. And he then incurred the wrath of God for three days and three nights for our sin. And our sin was then dealt with. That is when God said, okay, that's it. All of the sin of mankind um, has now been paid for. The transgressions that have received their just reward. And now the, the, the price has been paid. And that is why our Lord Jesus was raised from the dead. Romans chapter 4 verse 25 says, 
who was delivered up because of our offenses. So Jesus Christ was delivered up because of our sins, our offenses, and was raised because of our justification. So once the, the, the penalty had been met for every single sin that mankind had ever and would ever commit in that three days and three nights, God said, okay, that's it. Every sin has now been paid for. Every transgression has now met its just reward. Then and at only then was Jesus our Lord raised from the dead because of our justification. In other words, those sins had now been paid for and uh, our Lord Jesus Christ could be raised from the dead. And so that is why the scripture talks about, the, our Lord says, that, remember when our Lord was on the earth, uh, he said that those who reject the gospel uh, will in, 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 uh, incur a greater penalty uh, than even Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, on the day of judgment. Now, why is that? Because I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah are put forward in the in the Bible as examples of extremely wicked uh, cities, and that is why God destroyed them. But God, but our Lord says, you know, when when He sends out His disciples to go preach the gospel, and He says, if they reject the gospel, you're to go shake off the dust of your, uh, of your feet against that that town, and I tell you, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town in the Day of Judgment. So why did the Lord say that? Well, the reason for that is, is because to reject the gospel, because the gospel is teaching us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who knew no sin, was made to be sin with my sin. He went down into the pit of hell for three days and three nights, and He suffered for my sin, and He paid the price for my sin. And then God raised him from the dead. And uh, I'm justified because of what he did. So I hear that gospel. I hear that God himself has taken upon himself my sin and has paid the price for my sin. He's, he's incurred the wrath of God for my sin. Now, if I choose to ignore that and if choose to disregard that gospel and say, well, you know, that means nothing to me. What am I doing? I am... Um, rejecting the, the price that Jesus has paid for me. I'm, uh, I'm basically saying, well, that means nothing. I, I could care less the fact that God, you went and paid for the price of my sin uh, and you incurred the wrath of God. That's fine. You, you, you chose to do that. Your problem, not mine. And so one who does that is completely um, treating the, the, the price paid by the Son of God as completely irrelevant and, and meaning, meaningless in their lives. Now, that is a, an absolute insult to the spirit of grace. <coughs> now, compare that to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked people. They were committing sin and horrible sin to the point that God had to judge them and destroy them. But not one of them had done this sin. None of them had rejected the gospel. No one had gone to them and said, you know, because of your sin... God is actually going to die for you, and God is actually going to uh, take upon himself your sin and pay the price for it. Nobody had told them that. And so they had not rejected this gospel. They hadn't insulted the spirit of grace like one who rejects the gospel has. And so that, they'd never done what a person who rejects the gospel does do. And that is the reason why on the day of judgment, although their punishment will be harsh, uh, it will not nearly be as harsh as the one who has rejected the gospel when they hear it preached. And that is why our Lord said that 
it'll be more tolerable for the, uh, in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for the individual who rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ because they hear the truth, they hear that Jesus has actually paid the price for them and they just they insult the spirit of grace by saying, well, that, I, I'm, I'm not interested, thank you very much. Um, and so they, they are um, setting themselves up for a greater uh, punishment on the day of judgment. And so when our Lord Jesus Christ paid for our sins, he became sin with our sin. And we became his righteousness for those who are born again. And he went into hell and he paid for our sin. Then he ascended on high with his blood and he paid for our sin. And so when he did that, he then cleansed each one of us from our sins. Um, the scripture says in 1 John chapter 3 verse 5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. So when Jesus Christ died and was, uh, was raised again from the dead, um, he was raised sinless. He went to hell as one who was made to be sin. But when God raised him from the dead, in him is no sin. No more sin. That sin was done away with. Now, how was that sin done away? Because now that sin is the sin of the whole of, of, whole of mankind was done away with. How was that done? Through the blood of the Lamb. His blood washed away that sin. And in him now, in Christ, there is no sin. Uh, he was made to be. He's no longer, uh, he's no longer sin. He is now the righteousness of God once again. And in him, there is no sin. And all who are in him, also, there is no sin. You cannot be in sin and be in Christ at the same time. And then we're talking about our spirits. Our spirits in him uh, are completely free from all sin. And so how did our Lord do that? In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, the scripture says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And so when our Lord Jesus Christ went into heaven, he presented his blood um, as a, uh, the spotless sacrifice to God the Father for our sins. And that's, that sacrifice uh, was sufficient. And it, it just, it, it met God's uh, required um, punishment kind of for, for the transgressions that had taken place. And so that sacrifice was acceptable before God the Father. And that sacrifice is an eternal sacrifice that cleanses every believer from all sin. Now, what happens when we come into the kingdom of God? At that moment that we come into the kingdom of God, we're born again. Our spirits are made uh, brand new creations in Christ Jesus. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Um, but at the same time, we're cleansed from all sin. The scripture we can look at in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 9 says, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. Now look at this. And has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So what's Peter talking about here? He's saying that when the guy came into the kingdom of God, at that time he was cleansed from all his old sins. And he's saying that this particular believer has forgotten that that happened. So what did it, what did it mean that we, he was cleansed from all his old sins? It means that when we come into the kingdom of God, when we're born again, every single sin that we've committed up until that moment 
we're cleansed from. We're, those sins are washed in the blood of the Lamb and they're completely done away with. We stand in that instant, in that, that very second that we, we are born again, that we give our hearts to Jesus and we're saved. At that very instant, we are completely sinless. And I'm not talking about just your spirit now. I'm talking about every part of you. Spirit, soul, and body. There is no sin that that individual has in them or on them at that, at that moment. Because the blood of the Lamb has now washed them. And all of the old sins have been washed away, have been cleansed. And so they stand before God and they stand before the Lord Jesus Christ completely sinless. Now that's a very important thing we need to understand. Because... It's not a case of, well, you know, only part of me was cleansed. My spirit was cleansed. But my mind and my body is still, you know, full of sin. Not at all. We're washed from all old sins. We are sinless before, uh, before God. We, it says, if we never committed any sin. All right? Now, it might be that five minutes after the person is born again, they commit sin because they think something wrong or they say something wrong. And they now transgress God's laws again. Um, but in that period of time, that five-minute period, from the time that they gave their heart to Christ until they committed the, 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 a, a, a new sin, because don't forget, all the old sins are washed away. So there's no sin there anymore. The blood of the Lamb has cleansed them completely. But now five minutes later, they commit sin. In that interim five-minute period, from the time they came into the kingdom of God until they committed the very first sin, they were still sinless. So it might be for five minutes that they were sinless, but nevertheless, they were sinless for five minutes. Now, it might be an hour from the time they come into the kingdom of God before they commit their first sin. So for that hour, for that 60-minute period, they are sinless. They are righteous before God completely. There's no sin. Okay, So it's not a case of God can only cleanse my spirit, but the rest of me still remains completely sinful. God can't do anything about that. No, not at all. Because I, all my old sins have been washed away. So I don't have any more sin. I have to now commit new sins in order to have, be, to, to have sin again. I have to, because all the old stuff has been cleansed. So I need to commit some new sins in order to get, I'm just trying to get the point across. That in the interim period, from the time we come into the kingdom of God, till we commit our very first sin again. That period of time, we are completely sinless. Now, that is where God expect, expects us to stay, and that's where He wants us to stay, in that period of time where we do not commit sin. It was never God's intention that His children get completely washed and cleansed from all their old sin, so now they can just go jump in and start committing as much, as much sin as possible again. That's not the, the intention of God. That's what, that's what uh, the Bible talks about, what a pig does. A pig, once they washed, what do they do? They go and jump back into the mud because they want to go wallow in, in it again. And that's not God's intention at all for his children to you know, take on the nature of, of, of a pig and go jump back into, into sin again. It's, it, it's, we've changed. Our nature's changed. We don't remain the same person. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And so it is always God's intention for us from the time we're saved to continue in that sinless state. It's never God's intention that we go back into sin. It is always God's intention that once we're saved and we're washed from all our old sins, that we don't start committing any more new sins. 
And so that is what we want to go into in the next series of teachings, is just how it is possible for the Christian to actually walk in the reality of that, because that is what God has always intended. Um, and, you know, Satan has brought in a, a, a saying into the church, we're all just sinners saved by grace. But that's not true. We're saints. We're not sinners. God never refers to his church as sinners. He refers to them as saints. And so it's a mindset that we have to change. We have to change this mindset that I'm just a sinner and you know, God can't do anything about it. You know, he, he tried, but he, it, it, sin in this life is far more powerful than the blood of Christ. He can forgive me my sin, but he can't prevent me from committing sin. That's where God misses. He's not powerful enough to do that. And that's where the, the mindset of the church has to change because God is certainly more, more than powerful enough to do that and, in fact, has made provision for us to do just that. Um, and that's why Paul said, I was the chief of sinners. He doesn't say, I am the chief of sinners. That's not Paul's gospel at all. And Paul would have a huge problem with those people that translated that particular uh, word incorrectly. Um, but we're going to end the teaching on that point today. and We'll carry on over the next series of teachings, just how it is possible for Christians to walk as God intended us to walk, free from sin.